Hey folks, welcome to the Inside Line F1 podcast and this week Formula 1 goes to Canada, the home of maple syrup, some amazing ice hockey, a great racing circuit, two of the most costly F1 drivers on the grid right now and also a circuit with a lot of history that's often produced great races and that's exactly what we're going to discuss right here on this Canadian GP preview of the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. So, what can you expect from this particular episode? We're going to talk about all that you can watch out for on this weekend, not just in general, but also on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. What are the specific things that you should look out for? And all of that is coming up right now. Let's begin. Hey folks, welcome back in. My name is Samuel Arora. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. And I am joined by Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of Force India and the FIA accredited TV and print journalist with the VIA Play Group. And they, of course, are the second biggest broadcasters in the world of Formula One. So you surely might know about them. But great to be discussing Canada, Kunal. It's great to firstly have Canada back on the F1 calendar because it's been gone for two years, believe it or not. But there's always such a warm and positive feeling about this place, especially with the furry animals that often tend to come up with the track. It's just nice. It's just Canada at the end of the day, right? Well, what else can you say about it? It's so nice at the end. Thank you for that introduction, Samuel. And yes, Canada is back. We actually, I, I can say I really missed this circuit in 2020 and 2021. Uh, you know, Canada more more often than not actually uh, delivers some really entertaining races. You know, the Wall of Champions, as we know, wasn't around for the last two years in Formula One. I'm so glad it is back. And, you know, in fact, the last time Canada featured uh, on a on the Formula One calendar, Sebastian Vettel was a Ferrari driver. And in fact, he is the last driver or he's the driver who had the last pole position here. And uh, if this the, this weekend, there are also four drivers who are going to race here for the first time in Formula One. So there's Latifi, it's his home race, uh, Mick Schumacher, Joe Guan Yu, and Yuki Tsunoda. So that's how long Canada has been away uh, from being a part of the Formula One calendar. And it's, what, 9,000 kilometers or miles, I can't remember, from Baku to Canada before we come back to Europe again. So even in terms of length and distance, it's it's a fair bit of distance away, Samuel. Yeah, I don't kind of get it. Uh, that's one point of contention, right? Why does Canada always stick out in the middle of the European season? But that's a point for later on. That's a point that we should discuss sometime when we're discussing Formula One sustainability. But speaking of Canada... It's kind of like we're straight away going from the wildest street circuit in F1 to the circuit with the most wildlife here. And also Canada, we also have the boat race in the middle of the circuit. That's also going to be another race to watch out for this weekend, Kunal. So it's just good things going around everywhere. And there's been so many great memories, right? But Canada, there's, of course, Danny Rick winning his first race back over here. Jensen Button's amazing win back in 2011. Those two stand out the most for me. But what about you? I suppose it has something to do with 2019 because that race was just so memorable. Yes, it was memorable, you know, with the whole Sebastian Vettel going off a little bit, doing a Vettel thing and then coming back and swapping his, uh, uh, you know, swapping the finishing boards and and the whole drama around it. So that was pretty epic, I would say. Uh, But Samil, two things that really stand out for me about Canada is the raft race you mentioned. That has been a part of Formula One history a long since a long long time in fact liberty media had it a few years ago as well and then it suddenly stopped so for those wondering what the raft race is all about you know the circuit gilles de villeneuve has lakes around it and teams would 
teams would actually come and prepare rafts and race on those rafts for fun. This would be mechanics, engineers, and the likes. And it used to happen over the years. And it's something that hasn't happened since many years. But here's also a fact. So uh, the the Canadian Grand Prix venue was actually a part of rowing, if I'm not mistaken, in the 1976 Olympics. Hmm. And the only reason I remember this is because 1976 was the season when, uh, you know, the movie Rush was actually based upon. And uh, another fact, Somil, actually, is there have been more Canadian Grand Prix in the history of Formula One than any other Grand Prix outside of Europe. So that's just so much history Canada represents. Exactly. And even right now, we've got two Canadian drivers on the grid. They're not major, but it certainly shows the fact that we do have some some great representation from Canada and over a long period of time. We had Gilles Villeneuve, then Jacques Villeneuve, both world champions, by the way. I know Gilles wasn't a world champion, but Jacques kind of was able to go ahead and do that. But again, Canada, Kunal, why, why is it in the middle of nowhere? I mean, it's supposed to be a European season. Formula One is desperately targeting a net zero carbon impact. This doesn't help. Wouldn't it kind of be better to have all the European races clubbed up as one, the Asian races clubbed up as one, and maybe the trips to the USA and, and Canada as such, and even Mexico for that matter, clubbed up as one? So it's just a bit absurd how historically things have played out over here. Yeah, I think I, th- I suspect, Somil, it's got to do with the weather, right? Because uh, Canada also has extreme weather, which is also why the race circuit is a lot bumpy most times as well. That's what I'm told. So I suspect it's purely got to do with the weather. We want to go and race there when it's a little warmer, a little more fun. This is like spring, summer, almost summer, depending on what part of the world you are in. And that's one of the reasons why I think Canada is bang in the middle of a European season. But yes, you're right. Uh, I get this feeling Formula One is going to relook at circuit and race placements depending on geography so they can save up on a lot of uh, you know carbon uh, carbon emissions and and related time travel you know uh, related time taken to travel and the likes yeah exactly let's hope so and with that actually we should end up talking about the race weekend as such as well because this time out now that Canada's back now that we've discussed about the circuit and what we love about it so much Apart from the chicanes, actually, which is also a great fact over here because we've got such fast chicanes. This track just feels alive when you drive it, be it on a simulator. And if you're a Formula One driver, luckily on track as well. But there's going to be one major factor to discuss on Friday, Kunal, which is going to be Ferrari's reliability. Because now with such a small gap between Baku and here, can they really do much to change things out? Can they just detune their engines and if that happens they really could be falling behind Red Bull now so that's going to be a major factor just how do they respond at the end it's a it's a very interesting question I hope Ferrari has an answer because I believe hope is all that we all have uh, when it comes to this problem because if Ferrari do not have a solid answer the Red Bulls are going to win more and more races and probably a season that started off, you know, with the question, oh, is this Ferrari's season to try and win something? They've got the car, they've got the drivers, etc. Could it just turn around into a walkaway win for Red Bull Racing if Ferrari are not able to find a solid answer? And a solid answer doesn't necessarily mean detuning their engines, but 
you know, there is hope. Like I said, uh, the the gap between races is very limited. Not just Canada, but even the ones to come. You know, summer is usually a very very packed schedule in Formula One. The months of June and July are actually the best months to be a Formula One fan because there's a race pretty much every other weekend. So I hope Ferrari are able to find a fix. And Peter Winsor, you know, the famous Peter Winsor, actually said. COVID-19 could have also impacted some of these power unit manufacturers and their reliability programs because there has been an impact in supply chain, apparently, that has led to a loss in quality as well. So that could be another angle because Ferrari actually turned around and said, we had nothing on the telemetry, you know, corners before or laps before Charles's uh, engine actually blew. And it certainly just happened. Charles himself said that. So, Worrying signs, and I really hope and pray uh, that, uh, you know, Ferrari are able to find an answer and get competitive because, hey, it's been since Spain that we've literally not seen a battle. Actually, if you go according to the famous Formula One cartoon, Ultimate Minute Tune, which is a Spanish cartoon that's going around, it's not that Ferrari are having bad reliability. It's just that both their drivers love the gravel and they want to cook some Spanish omelets over there. Apparently, that's what's happening over there. But that's a more, more on the lighter side of things. But in fact, let's discuss this in more detail later on in the episode because we're going to have Aditya Bhatt, who's also going to be on here to discuss the implications of the poor reliability of Ferrari and how things could play out later in the year. But apart from Ferrari, as well, Canal, Nicholas Latifi, his future is under doubt. And believe it or not, the point where we have the biggest questions about it is at his home race, where we're now actually discussing the possibility of Oscar Piastri coming in to drive for Williams, maybe even at the British Grand Prix. So that's going to be an absurd little press conference, right? I, I suppose the only thing he can end up saying is, yeah, we'll see. I'm confident. I'm confident. But will he really be confident when there's someone like Oscar Piastri waiting in the wings? And then, of course, he'll also add saying, I have a contract. Uh, that's normally the line that oh. drivers end up doing. <laughs> uh, but true, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's not wrong to question uh, Nicolas Latifi's uh, future in Formula One. Is he a good driver? Yes, he is. Uh, is he a good driver for Formula One? I probably don't think so. And he has struggled a lot more this season than ever before. And maybe he could just go drive in another series. I mean, he... He did fairly well till the levels of Formula 2. Took a long time to actually get to the top in Formula 2 as well. I, you know, like Daniel Kvyat, nobody misses him. Nobody talks about him. That, similarly with Nikita Mazepin, I suspect that's how it's going to be with Nicolas Latifi as well. Not many fans are going to end up missing him, apparent, uh, apart from maybe some of the Canadian fans, I, I guess. And... Similarly, Lance Stroll, you know, what's what what's what's happening with him? Nobody knows. But he's, of course, racing for his father's team. So not a lot of questions are asked. And I think the funnier part would be if there is a Latifi and a Stroll grandstand. I do know that there's a Stroll grandstand in Canada. And I mean, I don't know if you get car parts as, as mementos. If you go and sit there, all the car parts that Stroll ends up breaking through a season... Uh, there has to be a reason why you want to go sit there, you know. <laughs> That's a tough one, actually. And you mentioned nobody misses Danny Kefiat. Just check out on YouTube. Everyone loves the hard boss memes. But no, he's not going to be here, unfortunately. And seems like for Latifi, that's going to be a similar thing, right? So it's it's hard to imagine how things are going to play out that way. But pop is also going to be a major talking point because 
F1, I think, has finally come back to Canada, but with a different problem this time. And the circuit is notoriously bumpy. Mercedes are going to be vocal, Kunal, because after what's happened to Lewis Hamilton back in Baku, there is no reason for them just to stay quiet now. They're just bumpy as hell. And what do we even do in this case? Do they just raise their car? Because it doesn't seem like the FIA are willing to find a solution out in the short term for that. You know, purposing is going to be a discussion point. It could end up pose, uh, you know, it it could end up being a problem this weekend as well. Long straights, Canada's again about all those low downforce configurations and 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 so on. Right? Uh, I get this feeling that yes, teams are lobbying, especially maybe Mercedes, and they're using the drivers to lobby the FIA. Yes, the FIA is also looking into facts. Uh, something that Formula One released after Baku was that Mercedes was purposing just as much as some of the other teams, right? But Mercedes was also purposing in places where other teams were not, for example, from turns 12 to turns 15. And I actually have tweeted about this if somebody wants to go and take a look at that, right? But I do suspect that it's only going to be more vocal. I know Daniel Ricciardo has actually gone and uh, backed uh, Russell's claims on purposing as well, especially with FI needing to take a look. And like we said in the Baku review, Samuel, there needs to be a driver-first approach. We can't have drivers... uh, I think, was it Pierre Gasly who said, we don't want to end up walking with a stick at the age of 30, right? So it's uh, it's something that I believe will be the talk of uh, the town. And sticking again on Mercedes, you know, they are giving conflicting signs because on one hand, uh, Toto Wolff is saying that raising the ride height of their car will not solve their problems, right? On the other hand, George Russell has gone onto the record and said, we actually didn't face a lot of purposing in Baku. Our car was just bottoming out. So what Samuel and I are going to try and do, guys, is try and see if we can get a tech expert to come and explain what purposing is, why is Mercedes facing it more than the other teams, how could they solve it, how could the FIA make the sport safer for the drivers and so on. So hopefully in the next week or two, we are able to dig in deeper into what the problem actually lies. Yeah, because when I heard of that statement about bottoming out versus purposing, even I was slightly confused. But it's better to hear from those who know. But yeah, if if the FIA eventually find a solution about purposing, I suppose it'll be light by Pierre Gasly in a way. If you know, you know. If you don't, don't worry about it. But stats, that's what we're going to talk about right now. We're going to have F1 stats guru Sundaram coming up with his usual stats preview segment. And here's him doing that because recently he's just been on fire with that. So it's better to leave it to him. Leave him... Uh, ah, well, I've put you that, I've that, but don't worry, Sundaram won't. Here's him. Hey folks, it's time to do the stats preview of the Canadian Grand Prix. I am Sundaram, also known as the F1 Stats Guru. Let's talk numbers. Now, the start of the weekend, something that you're probably going to hear quite a bit is that just three drivers have taken pole position in Canada since 2007. And they are Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel and Nico Rosberg. Rosberg's been retired for quite a while and Hamilton and Vettel don't seem to have the sort of machinery to put their car fastest on a Saturday, so it's pretty likely that I may not be able to use this stat next year. It's going to be a milestone event for Max Verstappen who starts his 150th Grand Prix in Formula 1 and obviously he is the quickest to that milestone, uh, understanding he started racing in the sport when he was 17 and also considering the amount of races that we have on a yearly basis. Mercedes customers are going to be slightly pleased knowing that there's always been a Mercedes-powered car on the Canada podium every time since 2007. Alright, let's talk overtakes now. 
Canada ranks somewhere in between when it comes to overtakes. Not too little, not too many, but 75% of the passes are concentrated in the DRS zone. So there's going to be a lot of action in those zones and especially on that long back straight. Also because of Canada's track configuration, Montreal sees the lowest pit lane time loss of the calendar, just 18 seconds, and that's going to be a factor also when it comes to pit strategy. Now, I know we have quite a few Ferrari fans as listeners, and you're obviously concerned about the team's form because of the bulk of retirements that they've had in the recent races, but you you wouldn't have to worry so much in Canada because the team have DNF'd just twice in the last 20 years uh, around this venue, and the last of which came in 2011. So just keep praying that that nice little streak continues this time out as well, and both Ferrari cars see the checkered flag. Alright, the last stat of the segment is that there have been 8 straight races since 2021 and of those 8, Ferrari has taken pole on in 6 of them and Red Bull has taken pole just once. But Red Bull always put their best foot forward on Sundays because that's where points are earned and they have won 6 of those 8 straight races, of those recent 8 straight races and Ferrari have won just one. So that could also be the story this time out as well. That was the stats preview. I'm Sundaram. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter under the name F1 Stats Guru. I'll see you guys later. Hey folks, welcome back in. And who you heard recently was just F1 Stats Guru delivering his quality stats as usual. Go check him out on social media. And he's lately been on fire with all the stats that he's coming up and also how he's presenting them. So there's that. But Kunal, back to Canada, back to the race weekend this time out. And Saturday, there's so much to talk about in qualifying, especially, I suppose, toe and traffic because we're yet again going to a street circuit. What is it? Like three in a row now for Formula One? And in qualifying, I can imagine this being a big, big issue because we saw this happen in Baku as well, partially, where drivers were struggling to get the toe, which is going to be super crucial at the back straight over here. And also just a matter of timing your exits properly because... I, I do remember that a couple of times previously, there have been drivers who have missed out on qualifying on time here in Canada because nobody wants to be the first driver and nobody wants to be, well, too far back that they end up missing out. So Saturday is going to be fun to watch out in that case, especially Q1 and Q2. Yeah, two T's to always look out for, toe and traffic, right? And uh, I think uh, at least in, in Canada, it's a little easier given that long back straight and you're able to wait and it's a wider circuit. You're able to wait and let people go or or something like that. But eventually, it's always going to be fun. There is then, of course, uh, the wall of champions. You know, I, I love that that corner. Literally, there are so many different drivers who've tried so many different things. Some of them have just about kissed it. Some of them have narrowly avoided it. Some of them have just driven bang right into it. So that's something that I would really look forward to through the whole weekend, maybe closer to qualifying and in the race than in the free practice sessions because free practice is not when you'll end up pushing just as much as you probably do in, say, qualifying, right? Uh, The other thing that I am looking forward to on Saturday, sticking to Nicholas Latifi, he remains the only driver to have not progressed from Q1 to Q2 in 2022, right? So let's see if he he is actually able to do that at his home Grand Prix. But Samuel, I I get a feeling we're going to see a uh, we're going to see a Charles Leclerc pole position for sure. Doesn't seem like anybody's able to beat him and the Ferrari when it comes to single lap pace. But what's the point? Uh, seriously, what's the point? Because if your engines are to fail, 
and the day your engines don't fail, your strategy fails or something or the other happens. It's really frustrating to see something like this happen at the end. And a fun fact that's been circulating all over the internet is that Max Verstappen now has more wins from Charles Leclerc pole positions this year than Leclerc has from his own pole positions this year, which is just fascinating to see how things are playing out in that sense. But I think you're right about that. His, his qualifying strength has been absolutely brilliant. And what I'm really keen to watch out for is his pole position lap. The way this 2022 Ferrari dances around the chicanes here at Montreal, that'll be a fun thing to watch out for. But again, that the whole point is, why? What's the point of a whole position at the end of the day if you can't quite convert it? You're being very, very brutal and harsh, as just, just as one should be if you're a Ferrari fan. But uh, lots of other things to look forward to in qualifying as well. I mean, uh, you know, will it be Checo Perez out qualifying Max Verstappen for the third race in a row? Something that's probably never happened in Max's career, if recent career at least, that I, I would probably think of. And, um, you know, will the McLarens make it to Q3? Because they are, of course, concerned that uh, the characteristics uh, that, uh, you know, that are of the, the circuit in Montreal are similar to the one at Baku as well. So they are afraid that this, these kind of tracks don't really suit their car. So will McLaren be there? Of course, eventually they ended up finishing in the points after a lot of uh, strategy and teamwork and team orders, Sommel. But the one thing I'm interested in is I'm told uh, Ross Braun is going to be in the paddock. There is going to be talk about the 2023 Formula One calendar. There were pictures of Stefano Domenicali having visited South Africa to host a race there as early as next season. And then Eric Boulair, the former McLaren uh, team principal and now the boss of uh, the French Grand Prix, also gave a hint a couple of uh, a couple of week uh, race weekends ago that Formula One is probably working on rotational circuit venues uh, for a lot of those historic venues. So it, could that be something that could happen uh, starting 2023 itself? Because we know Spa is in danger, and I love Spa, and I'm a little disappointed that it's in danger. But even if it you know, appears on the calendar every other year. I don't really have a problem with that, Samuel. If anything, it'll be more interesting because we'll tend to value Spa a little bit more. I think these days we tend to take it for granted because it comes around every single year. So, uh, yeah, I suppose that'll be good in a way, but nobody wants to see Spa go out immediately, right? I suppose it's only in the long run where we try to realize, oh, it's not that bad. At least we get to see it. But yeah, Ross Brown is going to be questioned about a lot of things and maybe even about the whole 2026 regulations about why F1, I mean, if F1 are blocking and ready, because there's been so many rumors about F1 wanting to see either of Porsche or Audi come up before Andretti or something like that. So lots of talking points about Formula 1's future and that'll be very, very interesting to see as well about how Ross Brown responds and if he actually ends up giving away some sort of hint because he's the big man right now. He's the one who controls a lot of the big stuff. Yes, he's a, you know, Formula One is, Formula One's future hasn't been this exciting since ever that I can remember, Samuel, right? So to me, the very fact that there are more circuits wanting to host Formula One and, you know, Formula One is forced to do a rotational, uh, system. I think that also is, is, is great because it keeps the excitement open. You know, Coming to a circuit you raced two years ago will actually probably make the challenge a little more difficult for the teams and drivers as well. So uh, as long as Spa 
stays, I don't really care, which I know is not going to happen. But yes, you know, if we were to end up racing in South Africa, I think it would be pretty, pretty kick-ass. Yeah, exactly. Let's hope for the best, right? Let's hope that Formula One does secure these historical races and not disrespect them in a way. It'll be fun to see that. But you know what? It's actually time to talk about Ferrari once again, because we're now going to have Aditya Bhatt discussing the potential implications of Ferrari's reliability issues and how things could play out in the long run this year. So let's listen to him. The worst possible outcome for Ferrari last weekend with a double DNF in Baku, Sainz retiring with a hydraulics issue on lap 9, and the topic of this discussion, Leclerc's power unit blowing up on lap 21. As we go into the Canadian Grand Prix this weekend, let's quickly take stock of the Ferrari power unit situation and see where they can go from here. I'm Aditya Bhatt and welcome to Formula 1 Tech Explained. After it gave out on the back streets of Baku, Leclerc's engine was taken back to Ferrari base in Maranello for examination. And it was determined that the internal combustion engine, the ICE, and the turbocharger on that car were damaged beyond repair. Now, here's the rule book. During an F1 season, a driver can use three ICEs and three turbos without having to incur grid penalties. The ICE that blew up in Baku was Leclerc's second one, so he still has one more in the bank that he can use without incurring a grid penalty. The turbocharger on the other hand, the one that blew up in Baku, was his third one. That was it. He's hit the limit on turbo units. Now this leaves Ferrari with a choice. Take the fourth turbo and take the penalty that comes with it, or reuse one of their old turbos from the allocated three and escape a penalty. Using an old battered turbo leaves them susceptible to another DNF, but taking a fresh one guarantees a grid drop. So what are they going to do? Well, let's talk about what they can do. Ferrari team boss Mattia Binotto has publicly said on record that he prefers a fast but unreliable car as opposed to a slow but reliable car. Well, I'm glad you said that, Mattia, because I have a proposition for you. Go the route that Mercedes went last year, aggressive. Instead of patching stuff up and avoiding engine penalties, Mercedes extracted maximum performance from each of their power units and took the penalties that came with that approach. Hamilton took 5 ICEs, that is 2 under penalty, and Bottas took 6, 3 under penalty. The fourth engine you take, that is the first one over limit, incurs a 10-place grid penalty and all subsequent ones incur only a 5-place grid penalty. So it does hurt lesser further down the line if you decide to max out performance with this approach. Because let's look at the races coming up, shall we? Canada, Britain, Austria, France, all power-hungry circuits. This patchwork turbo in Canada could blow up, a couple more DNFs here and there, and let's be honest, Ferrari's championship hopes will be over even before we hit the summer break. But a couple of grid penalties here and there, I mean, that won't put an end to their championship hopes. I mean, nowhere's easy, but upcoming tracks like Montreal and Silverstone offer decent opportunities for overtaking. So qualifying P5, P6 with penalties and climbing your way back up to P4, P3 is still a great result compared to what? A DNF caused by a worn turbocharger? At the end of the day, all of this is pointless if Ferrari can't figure out their reliability concerns. What makes these components blow up? That's the question. Without that answer, they can keep taking new components and incurring more penalties and they'll still keep blowing up like it's Diwali over at Maranello. Of course, their rivals Red Bull might have to take penalties at some point as well. But unfortunately for Ferrari, the Red Bull engines are currently singing beautiful songs. No major signs of wear and tear. So the onus is firmly on Ferrari, aggressive or defensive. Thank you for your time. I've been Aditya Bhatt at bhatt.tech on Instagram and I'll see you on the next one.
Welcome back in, folks. We were talking about the Canadian GP and yeah, it's great to listen to Aditya Bhatt, isn't it? Because he comes up with such great insights every single time. And I wonder how things are going to play out for Ferrari this weekend. And this brings us on to Sunday, where we've talking about, rather we've spoken about Ferrari's inability to capitalize on their brilliant qualifyings. But who's got the faster car, Ferrari or Red Bull? That's going to be the major question to answer on Sunday, because we know that Ferrari can make things work on Saturday. But it just seems, Kunal, that Red Bull are marginally better on Sundays. And if that continues to be the case, it could be a big, big blow in the championship this time out. You know, in fact, just before uh, Charles Leclerc retired in Baku, let's just rewind to those 20 laps. Uh, Perez was leading. He, of course, you know, overcooked his tires, trying to keep his advantage ahead of Leclerc. Uh, traditionally, uh, the Red Bull had a straight line speed advantage to make an overtake on the Ferrari in, you know, during the races. And that's what we saw happen several times this season. But Ferrari actually trialed a, a new low skinny, uh, you know, rear wing in Baku, which actually nullified some of that Red Bull straight line speed advantage as a result of which Max Verstappen was unable to overtake Charles Leclerc on track. And that's also why Max was told to do the opposite of Charles when the VSC came out, right? So if that remains, if the Ferrari remains as reliable, if the Ferrari is not expected to detune uh, its engines to, to re- you know, to sort of finish races, then I would love to see Leclerc versus Verstappen. Maybe Perez and, you know, signs in the mix, going wheel to wheel uh you know for the race uh, for the race win or for the top 3 positions because that is what we've actually signed up for in formula 1 and you know talking of statistics two two very cool stats uh red bull scored 5 wins on the trot in 2021 but they only managed to win one world championship which was the drivers championship mercedes won the constructors championship right red bull have won 5 races on the trot right now they could be gunning for uh, a record sixth this weekend. But, you know, if the stat from 2021 comes true and the championship is split at the end of the year, I think we're in for a kick-ass season, Samuel. Yeah, let's certainly hope so. And I, and I hope that the Ferrari challenge comes back in this weekend because we want to see that. And even the same with Sergio Perez, Kunal, because we've seen this surge in confidence recently from Sergio. Sorry for that terrible one. But the point is, in qualifying, he seemed to be better than Max, even though he had that toe issue in Baku. So if anything, it seems like he's getting to one with this car a little bit more every single weekend. And what happened in Baku, I just hope that it's a one-off. So who knows, for once, we could have four drivers. And speaking of Canada, Canada has a history of having many first-time winners. You've seen Ricciardo take his first win over here. We've seen Hamilton take his first win over here. Same with Robert Kubica. For all we know, Carlos signs if things are going well. Maybe he could be another driver to get onto that very list. But that's, again, a bit too optimistic on mine. Let's certainly hope that happens. But otherwise, as well, Kunal, strategies are going to be fun to watch out about how teams play the entire game this time out. Precisely so, because, you know, despite having, uh, you know, quicker car, Red Bull is being forced to use different strategy to uh, finish ahead of Ferrari. We've seen, you know, both the teams use different strategies in the last two or three races to try and, you know, gain track uh, advantage. So we'll see how that also pans out in Canada. Uh, The pit lane time loss is much shorter here. So could teams make multiple pit stops? Although, 
2019 saw most drivers do just one pit stop. And let's remember, Canada is, you know, a much shorter circuit than Azerbaijan. So you may not see the field spread out as much more. So if they are all bunched up in, that just adds to more strategy headaches for the guys on the pit wall. Because if you pit your your guy and he's stuck behind uh, slower cars, stuck in dirty air and so on, by now, if you know, you've know you been listening to us and you've been watching Formula One, you know exactly how that can mess up a driver's race. Exactly. And traditionally, we've also seen sometimes at Canada teams miss out on pit stops. I know that's not going to be something that happens very, that happens very often, but 2008, uh, we saw Lewis Hamilton crash into Kimi Raikkonen. Oh, the opposite, actually. 2007, we saw Anthony Davidson's team missed out that he's actually stopped in, on his pit box as well. So that sort of stuff has also happened over here. It's very interesting how the pit lane ends up playing in Canada, right? It's very, very absurd how luck has not always been on the side of people who want to box here properly. But there are other things to talk about as well, namely Alpine and their top speed, because this weekend, Gunal, all the prowess that we saw from them on the straight line is going to be so, so valuable because at the back straights, it's going to be so hard to get past him. I mean, if anything, if they are going to be as slow in terms of lap times as they were in Baku, teams like your McLarens, teams like your Alfa Tauris are going to be having a tough, tough time with them. And especially because Fernando Alonso is driving and we know that he can defend like an absolute lion. But one driver he won't be able to fight against will be George Russell because it seems like Russell is in a league of his own now. He's just escalated away from all the other midfield drivers and with Hamilton, he seems to be stuck back there. So will that trend continue in a way? You know, every time Hamilton is not performing or not matching George Russell, Toto Wolf turns around and says he's running an experimental setup. Is that true? Is that not? Is that team talk? We will not know. But yes, to see George Russell, George Russell finish in the top five again, to finish every racing lap in 2022 again and finish ahead of Lewis Hamilton again. I'm just saying, you know, there's a trend and I'd love to see him continue with that trend. Just as uh, you pointed out about the Alpines, they were so monstrously quick that unless uh, a rival had a tire advantage, you could almost not overtake an Alpine. And especially if there was Fernando Alonso at the wheel. Could Daniel Ricciardo, you know, with his uh, second points finish of the year in Paku, him finishing ahead of Lando Norris, be charged up even more at Canada? Can we? I'd love to see more headaches at McLaren. You know, team orders, one driver pushing the other. Uh, you know, one driver at least wanting to say, "I wish I was a rebel. I would have finished one point ahead." Case in point, Lando Norris. So that's another uh, team to look out for. Could Valtteri Bottas, or Valtteri Bottas, depending how uh, you like to hear his name, uh, uh, you know, could could he end up being back in the points? Because six out of the eight races this season that we've had yet, he has finished in the points. He missed out of points in Baku. He said there was something fundamentally wrong with his car. Would Sauber Alfa Romeo have fixed that? So we are able to see him, you know, uh, back to I certainly back hope to so. And if Alfa Romeo do end up figuring, figuring out their issues, maybe Zhoguan Yu. Perhaps he could also continue the kind of form he ended up showing back in Baku as well. So it's interesting to see how the midfield is playing out all around, which is why, Kunal, I want to make 
Two predictions. Firstly, I think that for a dark horse, maybe the eighth sleep performer of the week, I think I'm going to go for Valtteri Bottas. I get a feeling that he's going to have a good race. But what about you? Firstly, who would you pick for your dark horse driver and one for the winner? For the winner, I'm just going to bet on Carlos Sainz, as I tend to do all year round, because I want to see that first win. But who would you pick for those two drivers in that case? You know, Samuel, I love your strategy. You're <laughs> going to pick Carlos Sainz all the way till he actually wins. So eventually, at least one race, your strategy has got to come right. But yes, the drivers who I think will be on the eight sleep uh, list of performers, definitely. Uh, the two uh, two Alpha Tauri drivers. You know, Yuki Sonoda was quick. He had the DRS issue. Pierre Gasly literally, you know, finished between, uh, almost finished between the Mercedes cars last weekend. The car seems to work well in these kind of circuits. At least that's what we'd like to believe so after Azerbaijan. The question is, uh, will that run continue? I remember Pierre saying, this is where our season starts. You know, eight races into the season and he actually ended up saying that because he's had a lot of bad luck. And I'd love to see... You know, Checo Perez remain on this list of, you know, eight sleep performers because it's so, it's so exciting to see a driver take it to Max Verstappen. I mean, Red Bull has tried so many of them. Uh, and uh, we almost thought that they wouldn't find anybody else apart from Daniel Ricciardo. But there we go. You know, Checo Perez is able to take the battle and let's hope to, that continues uh, all, all the way through. And this weekend, it's just drama and excitement all the way through. Let's hope that maybe we end up seeing a different winner this time. Maybe a Sainz, maybe a Perez. And maybe, probably continuing on the dramatic trend of Canada, perhaps some midfield driver doing a great job as well. But that's all that we have for you this time out, folks. I hope you've enjoyed our Canadian GP preview. We'll be back with the race review with, in fact, Reuters' Abhishek Tatle joining us for that episode this coming Monday. So wait for that and let's hope it's a good race because then we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about. But see you then, folks. Have a good time. Bye-bye.